1: This is State of the Arts NYC, and this is your host, Savannah bailey McLean. And today, we are very uh, blessed to have a very rising star in our studio today. We have with us Vanessa German. Vanessa German is a sculptress, painter, writer, activist, performance artist, and poet. Uh, she is based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in the Homewood section, and we are going to talk with her today about her exhibition that's now featured in New York City in the Fort Gansford uh, Gallery, that's in the meat pick packing district. Excuse me, and she is going to share with us what motivated her to do this exhibition and what she is trying to say to all of us as she uh, presents her new works. So, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me and looking forward to our conversation.
1: Yes, and uh, I really was struck by her her works, and uh, it's a lovely gallery, quite frankly, in the Meatpacking District near Little 12th Street off of 9th Avenue, and uh, lovely, lovely uh, three stories, and is showing her new works, Trampoline, Resilience, and Black Body and Soul. And this exhibition runs through December 21st. So, Vanessa, let's um, start off. <clears throat> uh, you were originally born in Wisconsin, raised in L.A. and Ohio, And then you arrived in Pittsburgh in 2000. What made you decide to settle in Pittsburgh?
2: My father's company transferred him there. And at the time, um, all of the children were grown and out of the family home. And my mother, who had great uh, housing insecurity and housing trauma Mm -hmm. when she was a young person, really couldn't. You know, deal with the that space in between leaving a home and needing to find another home. I get so I came from l a and I managed my parents' whole move from Cincinnati, Ohio, to Pittsburgh, which means I painted the walls, I packed stuff up, I managed movers, and uh, so that my mom could you know have the peace of mind that she needed to in the best way that she could. and I have been um, intrigued my whole life by a line from a Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder song that says, people are the same wherever you go, there's good and bad. And since I was a little kid, I always wondered, so if I go to Australia, people are the same there, people are the same everywhere, wherever you go. And so that was more of my experience exploring the nature of people are the same wherever you go, and I decided to stay in Pittsburgh and experience this part of the world wow so my parents company moved here and I stayed here
1: that's an interesting story (laughs) I wasn't expecting (laughs) that (laughs) and so you stayed in Pittsburgh and you stayed and did you choose Homewood or uh was that the area where your parents were going to relocate
2: uh no my parents lived got a house in the suburbs Mm -hmm. of Pittsburgh and Um, I sort of joke about this and I say I did what a lot of young men do, which is I just lived with my girlfriend at some point. And so my girlfriend at the time lived in Homewood Mm -hmm. and there came a time when I didn't have any place to live. And so I knew that um, sustainability for my life would require a certain set of of paths. So I know that I needed to be in a place where I had enough, space to make things that I needed to be in a place that was on the bus line so I could get around and I needed to live in a place where my soul would be well. And I was already staying in Homewood and Homewood, you know, made dimensional sense for me to live here, even though people who are outside of Homewood think it's the most dangerous place and you would never live there. For me, this was the safest place is a black community, um, deep, a history that's still resonant of jazz and Mm. like great literary writers and great artists in the community. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I would be well here dimensionally or that I would be able to have access to my wellness in Homewood. So I found uh, a row house that had, didn't have property managers it just had one owner. And I told the guy, I said, look, I'm an artist. I can work here. I can fix this up. I won't always be able to pay my rent on time, but I'll always pay you. And that's how I worked, it out.
1: It's interesting. I just did a lot of the work myself. Because, you know, when I lived in Pittsburgh, I think the last year and a half when I was there, I lived off campus. And so I, I get it because I remember people, you know, said back then and uh, homework was very um, uh, dangerous. But one of the things that I thought was interesting about Pittsburgh as a whole It's a city where people still in the end kind of trusted each other. Um, You didn't lock your doors during the daytime. You kind of trusted that everything would be okay. And I remember how once I needed to get somewhere to a friend's house. And so I was standing on the corner waiting for the bus and the bus are kind of slow in Pittsburgh. So these guys just rolled up. said, you need a ride? I said, yeah, I need a ride. I need to go such and such and so and so. And they said, get in. And I got in and I kept reading my book and they dropped me off where I needed to go. So (laughs) Pittsburgh is both like the city, but also it has a feel of a small town. Wouldn't you agree?
2: I uh, I think that there's, I think Pittsburgh has changed. I wasn't here in the eighties, but um, you know, there's a lot of there's. I find that Pittsburgh is a city that really enjoys a romantic story about itself as a city so Pittsburgh would love hearing that story right now right Mm -hmm. and then would really be super protective when people start telling different stories that are their real stories of happenings in Pittsburgh so much like America loves a myth America loves a romantic narrative Pittsburgh's Mm -hmm. no different but Pittsburgh today is one of the least livable cities in America for black women They say if you want to live as a black woman, Pittsburgh's the worst place to live if you want to live as a black woman.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. But somehow, somehow you have, you know, made your niche there and it, you know, kind of transformed your artistic practice. So tell us about your artistic practice because it's very interesting. It's not just the work that you do, but you also started, art house and the the love front porch and you've actually made a real difference there so tell us about how that all began
2: so um at the time that this like way that I live now began I was really depressed Mm -hmm. in a state of trying to actively figure out how to stay alive Mm -hmm. um and be well in my body and with my soul with the kind of spirit that I have being a, a queer, round, black woman who was raised by artists in a city that, um, you know, when I moved to Pittsburgh, I always made stuff. You know, my mother was an artist. We made our own lives. And so I made my own clothes and, and I did these little fashion shows when I first moved to Pittsburgh. And I remember that it was older black people in homeless who were like, you're, you're really good at that. You're really putting something together. And then they would say, too bad those white people won't let you into their festival. Too bad they're not going to let you here. Too bad they're not going to let you there. And so that was an interesting thing to come as a maker and sort of be told by older black folks where you were not going to be, where, you know, the sort of existing permissions about Mm -hmm. where you could be an artist. And so being in Pittsburgh and being in America, was very confusing to me. I was like, there's this idea of success over here, but these people who achieved this idea of success, they they look horrible. They look like they missed their kids. They look like, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't there were a lot of things that didn't make sense to me. So I was at this place where I was gonna kill myself. I was gonna I was gonna say, like, I can't live this way. I'm not gonna hustle forty five, fifty hours a week for this person at this job over here and still live in poverty and still not have these things like this is not a way to be alive for me and so at the time I had listened to um you know I had been listening to Dr. King's speeches and wondering why Dr. King could use the same language that every human being used but it sounded different and so I started really thinking about the nature of love and ingredients of loving and how love is present or is not present um, especially in a culture that uses the word love for liberty, like I liberally, like I love your jeans, I love that new Tesla, I love your lip gloss, and I really began this exploration into what living love is hmm. to save my own life. And I did that as, like, at the edge of a cliff. Like, if I don't figure out how to be in the love of my own life, then I don't want to be alive. And wow. so listening to Lauryn Hill's Unplugged album, how she said, she treated her life like science stuff was going bad. She was driving into a wall and then she realized she had a steering wheel, which means she could make choices. She could turn the wheel of her life in another direction. So I, and she said, and she talked about it scientifically. She was mm-hmm. like, I could experiment. I could, um, make science of my own decisions. And so that's what I did. So I lived in Homewood at the time. I was squatting in a building, didn't have running water. Um, didn't, I was losing weight and people, I was like, Vanessa, you look so good. You're getting healthy. And I'm like, yeah, I'm starving. But I, um, would walk my dog and I would take two bags with me. I'd take a poop bag and I would take a sweat bag. And for six months in this scientific experiment to figure out how to really be alive in my own life, I would let myself do whatever I wanted to do. I would like pick shiny stuff up off the ground. There's a lot of vacant lots and abandoned houses in Homewood. And I Mm -hmm. would find old teacups and old dolls and keys, so many keys. I would find books and sheet music and old weave hair and if it was interesting to me, I let it be interesting to me. I let it pick I would pick things up and I took them down to my basement and for six months I just did things that felt right. I didn't call myself an artist. I didn't say that I was a sculptor. I was really trying to put my hands to work in a way that freed my mind and it freed my spirit. And when I did that I would I ended up making these six objects and I realized at the end of the six months that it saved my life, that the act of transforming materials, searching for materials, and then working deliberately with those materials, it literally saved my life. So I, you know, am having this discussion with myself in my basement, and I realized that what I found was the love of my life. And I knew it was love because it made me healthier. I knew it was love because it gave me this physical, these physical objects that, that showed me transformation, that I transformed this material and I was transformed by it. I was healthier. I was, I loved myself. I, I loved a day again, because Mm -hmm. when you're, I don't know if you talk to people who have depression and they say like waking up in the morning is so hard because you got to think about what you're going to do with the hours and how you're going to not be like in deep despair and how you're going to make it through. I started to love the day again and wow. it was through material and through making. And I decided that this is a good way to be alive. So this, this is, if my life, if I don't, if I live and I have to catch rainwater in a bucket for the rest of my life, I'll do this because I can be alive this way. I can love this way. I can be whole this way. And Um, What happened at the same time is, you know, there was this little tiny window in my basement. There was only one window, and it was actually a heat vent, so Mm -hmm. it was 4 inches by 12 inches. And the kids would be playing in the backyard of the row house, and sometimes they would just squat on the ground, and they would watch me. And there was a little girl, a little black girl, who watched me for three hours one day. And all she said to me, because she was just, like, captivated, and I just kept working. I was like, this is fine. Like, I'm fine if she watches me. And all she said was, why is everything that you make so black? Ooh. And I, that was an interesting question. And then so what I that, that made me think, like, what happened to her? Why did she resist? She rejected playing with her friends to sit and watch me make stuff, crouch down in an, an extremely uncomfortable position on mm-hmm. the ground to look through a four-inch window. And so I thought, oh, I wonder if she felt she feels a little bit of what I feel. And so what I started to do was I found this ironing board in the trash and I took it outside on my stoop and I used it as a table and I started to work outside and the kids in the neighborhood would come and they'd be like, oh, can I make something with you? And I would give them a piece of clay or I would give them paint and a paintbrush or something and I would work and we would start working together. And what I noticed was that it would get really quiet when we did it, that there would just be me and my three or four kids in this really studious time and they would work hard and they would be like more can i have another piece of paper can i can i do another thing teach me how to take a picture and i realized that the same thing that was happening to me in my studio was happening to them when they got in that quiet place and that energized create that like that power of making energizing you and making you giving you access to your own ideas with resources in a way that was totally freeing like it they didn't have to do assignments for school or anything. They were just making stuff. And I realized that if I shared what I loved, then I could share love itself. That it, that wasn't a confusing place for me anymore. That I didn't have to figure out how to fall in love or how to, like, make other people understand love. That all I would need to do would be to share the things that I loved the most. And it would make more love. And, and so I said, this is a good way to live. I'll do what I love and I'll share what I love. So it's really... A simple equation.
1: No, this is a a very powerful story. You're turning into like a conjure woman. You know, you hear about those women in the South or in the Caribbean or in Africa who could mix and match spirit and, and magic together to create these wonderful experiences. That's what you did. You basically did. You conjured up your soul and shared it with everyone to create not just beautiful sculptures and interesting sculptures, but you know, your love of making. And uh, that's a great, great story. That's very empowering okay. uh, because you know, that's another thing we do need to talk about in this country. Not so much about depression, which is really um, the result of people not being allowed to be happy. And I think that's something we do need to talk about. How do we help others to become whole and happy? And you took that time to figure that out. I need to be whole. I need to be happy. What do I need to do to make that? you know, appear? Yeah. A, a and yeah. how do I foster yeah. that? And I really yeah. enjoyed hearing that because we do need to talk about it. And that to me is what makes your work a little political. It makes it political for me because you're trying to address that. You're trying to address how do we get from one point to another, from a bad history to a good place. So you talked about it in the area of depression, but I also see a little bit of it in your work when it comes to politics. Is that deliberate or is that just uh, another result of you, you know, working through um, your, your, yourself and, and uh, what you feel is important?
2: It's, it's deliberate. Mm-hmm. It, it is also a truth that inhabiting a black body and a black mind and a black soul at this time on this land in recognition of the truth that you were never, we, a black body, a black mind, and a black soul on this land, you we were never supposed to be free. Yes. You were in all of the documents in all of the, in the imagination of the sounders who took this land, and even in their imagination, we weren't supposed to be free, and we weren't supposed to have resources, right? Mm-hmm. So, there, there is the truth that everything we do then, with freedom and resources, is, a, is political, inhabiting and talking about love and talking about soul and talking about being in deliberate, intentional, magical relationships with our own ideas and our own bodies, that's political, right? Because Mm -hmm. our bodies are, are, we're from birth policed out of our own humanity in this land. Like if you think about the way, you know, your hair grows naturally out of your body like this, We're policed out of our humanity from birth. And so I recognize also that if it is a a political concern, it's a spiritual concern. Because one of the things that this system, this political system, this economic system does, is it crushes spirit. And you will have to go on. I, I find that one has to partake on a journey of recovery. I call it resurrection science, to mm-hmm. resurrect your original human places, to resurrect places of, of innate power and innate truth and innate clarity that, that there's a path of, like Baldwin called it unlearning, where he talked about, like, you know, he said, like, do you know how many years it took me to get that stuff out of my head mm-hmm. so that I believe? and knew that I could stand on this land mm-hmm. as a whole human. It took a lot of unlearning. I call that unlearning resurrection science, um, and you know, connected to the way I talk about my work and, and the work around my work is human technology and technology of the soul. That resurrection science, one must partake deliberately. If it's political, it's spiritual because the policies of this system, we know they crush the heart and they crush the spirit. Look at a Tatiana Jefferson in her house playing, um, having joy with uh, her young relative, with yep. her nephew, having joy, having connection, policed out of her own body, policed out of her own life. And then one month later, what happened to her father? He's dead. He had a heart attack. The political is spiritual. It's physiological. They're all connected. I feel like... The obstacles between them, the margins between them, the barriers between them, serve violence. Mm-hmm. To say that the political isn't spiritual, to say that the studio is just an intellectual space, a conceptual place, without acknowledging that it's a spiritual and it's a spiritual and political place, I think that that serves white supremacy. I feel like it serves the idea that you are not whole and that there's something external that you can buy with money mm-hmm. to make yourself whole and that you find your wholeness in things. You find your wholeness in consuming things externally.
1: Wow. So your sculptures are kind of in reverse because most of them are made out of found objects, correct? So if you're finding yeah. all of these pieces, then you're saying that your wholeness is not in the consumption of other objects, but in the collection of what those objects may have meant, whether the keys could be uh, symbolizing homes and what happened in those homes that brought about love or family, uh, what they brought about in the area of memory and tradition. So is your work sort of the opposite of that saying that it's in the collecting of these elements that really matter more than the consumption of? Would that be more accurate?
2: I, I um, have never thought about my work as the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Because for me, a truth that I hold center in the, the sort of engine of love of my being is the truth that we are all here together. For me, that's like the longest continually running truth of all time. Mm-hmm. There are very few people who have been off the planet Earth. So for me, an original truth is we are all here together. We are all Earthlings. And the Earth doesn't waste anything. Ooh. All the Earth does is repurpose.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Inside mm-hmm. of the seed, there are a million trees. Inside of this, this, the wind that I feel on my porch in Homewood today, that was in China yesterday. Right. It's not, like There wasn't new wind invented. It's not new water. All water is old. So in connecting with my earthliness, there's a way that I'm bringing that into my work, that everything is useful. The idea of newness is actually where there's conflict, Mm. that there are new things. No, everything is turned around. Um, But we're creating things now as human beings that the earth can't use, that are really detrimental to the earth so there's part of my um inside of my sculpture in using found objects and using things that are available and using things that have an expansive object biography i'm touching i'm using ingredients of that biography i'm thinking about the objects that my grandmother used at one point my grandmother was as she says a domestic i think about the objects that she used in somebody else's home to make their life livable. I think about the irons that she used. I think about how she starched somebody else's shirt so that they could be um, presentable for the world while while her kids were being taken care of somebody else. I think about the thoughts my grandmother thought when she was ironing other people's clothes. The songs she sang. The prayers that she prayed. And how that object holds some of that information and I can be in communication with that well of resilience that kept my grandmother whole enough to not become a domestic, to go to college and to become a nurse, to become head nurse. All of that power and that information is there. And so um, I believe in the simultaneity of time that the past, present, and future are all present. And so there's the way that the work is resonant then in past, present, and future, bringing the past into the present, standing on tiptoe and pointing, into a future into a place where we are able to inhabit our humanity with wholeness
1: wow that was really a great great description of of what you're trying to do so you focus a lot on women in particular naturally because you're a woman yourself but is it also because women, you know, we're still, particularly black women, are still being targeted in America in, in ways that are not, you know, talked about in media openly?
2: Well, that's part of it. But I have to say the first thing is I am obsessed with black women. Okay. And I always have been. Like, my mother was a big black woman. And she would hold court with other big black women who I knew had magic. I knew you know, had wisdom. I remember listening to my mother talk to Octavia Butler and listening to the sound of Octavia Butler's voice rattle the dishes. Mm. Like I felt like her voice was like a mountain and these women would come together and I knew that they had power and I knew that they had magic and I knew that it was a power that I wasn't seeing outside of circles of, of, it was actually women of color. There were Filipino women that my mother held court with. There were a lot of Spanish speaking women and they would come together in these circles and they would talk about their lives and they would talk about making, they would talk about their children. And um, I realized that that coming together, their collective energy, the ecosystem that black women, women of color's heart and soul and the, the power of their intellect together made something that was languagelessly powerful that I felt that caused me to tremble and that I recognized as a child and as a young woman, I was too flimsy to take a part of. I knew that I didn't have the stuff mm. to sit in the circle with the women. So there is a way that my work is a love song. It is a love old mm. through challenge, through con- through conflict, through threats of destruction of body and soul, thinking about these circles and the power the dimensional power, power of soul, political power, um, future-making power held in the bodies and the souls and the voices of black women. So that's it. That's the triumph on top. But, of course, then, with that triumph on top, I have to contend with the fact that I live in a country where people shrug when stuff happens to black women. Yeah, they see You know, them. Tiana, White, Tiana uh, Whitehead was across the street from my house the last time I saw her. The next time I saw her, she was dead. Fifteen years old, Pierre Whitehead was found beaten, naked, covered in bleach burns by a jogger in a city park about nine miles away from my house. Nobody knows who did that to her. She's a fifteen-year-old girl. So I had, yeah, I've moved with this black female body in this world. So I have to bring. I don't have the luxury to not bring that deep concern into my work. I do not have the luxury to not ask the art to contend with the threats upon my own body and my own soul, but in a way that is not just turning circles around a victim narrative, but leaps to the triumph. The work has to leap into the triumph for me because we get to be ourselves. We get the glory of being ourselves.
1: Wow, I really enjoyed this uh, conversation with you. It's been very deep. It's very pos- powerful. And you reminded me when you said those circles, uh, the circles that were in my family. One of the biggest thrills for me when I was a little girl was just helping my grandmother make coffee in the mornings. And uh, she would start it off, and then my, my Aunt Lucille would come in. And then my mother would come in from working all night. And it was this tradition for like over 30 years where these women would have coffee in the mornings and they would talk. They would just talk. And I was always told I was too young to participate because I needed to grow. But then when my grandmother passed, my mother and my aunt invited me into that circle. And that meant so much. And I felt my grandmother there, like we had all finally came together. So I understand when you talk about those circles, how women can coalesce and bring this power and magic to them so i just want to say i think your your show is is powerful it's deep it really pushes people to think it's at the fort gansford gallery which is located at 5 Ninth avenue in the meatpacking district in new york city and the show is up until december i believe 21st is that correct Yes, that's correct. Up until the 21st. So I really encourage all our listeners to come, to go, to see it. You also have some, you know, two-dimensional works where you honor the uh, Williams sisters, which I thought was very interesting and very um, striking and moving. But I just want to thank you so much for having this small chat. And I look forward to meeting you, perhaps in Pittsburgh.
2: I look forward to meeting you, too. I'll be back at the gallery in December for some performance and programming, and maybe I can meet you then. And I'm really honored that you shared the story about your family, your the women in your family making coffee. That's, like, you should write that as a poem or something. Or It's just beautiful. Thank mm. you for sharing that with me.
1: Thank you so very much. So, um, again, to our listeners, look forward to hearing us again next week. and. Uh, Thank you again. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks. Bye.
0: When someone else instead of me Always seems to know the way Then I look at you And the world's all right with me Just one look at you, and I know it's gonna be a lovely day.